0: everyone welcome to the csbi podcast i'm here today with uh, aaron wolf aaron how are you doing i'm good how are you richard i'm doing okay so um can you uh, to tell the audience a little bit about yourself your background where you came from and, and how you ended up where you are
1: yeah so i'm a uh, programmer i uh love programming i was in a uh, grad school and wound up, uh, you know, doing computer science and wound up just kind of programming internet stuff that I liked Um, and wound up working at Yahoo. And then I was in Silicon Valley for 18 years um, doing all sorts of things. Um, And now I consider myself a Silicon Valley exile though, because I was, you know, I've kind of always been Fairly apprehensive about the way Silicon Valley was doing business.
0: So you you you've been involved in a few you know companies our listeners would probably be involved in. Can you talk about those?
1: um Yeah. So I started out um in uh, in grad school. I, I did a little game site that Yahoo saw in 1997 and wanted me to you know they wanted me to drop out of grad school and work on it with them instead of have it just be a side project for me. Um, So that had me at Yahoo for, um, four and a half years. Um, you know, after Yahoo, which was, you know, kind of, you know, a sad, sad failure, but also kind of a very great learning experience. I, you know, did random gigs and nonsense. One of the things I did is I helped uh, some friends of mine get started with WhatsApp. Um, and you know, that, you know, was to me, I was maybe the only person who thought that was a very sad outcome. Um, But to me, it was a sad outcome. What happened with WhatsApp? Um, And, you know, a few other random gigs. And, you know, eventually in 2015, I was just, you know, everything I'm saying is falling on deaf ears. Um, I'm not really going to accomplish what I want to in Silicon Valley. So I I left. So I kind of consider myself an exile for that reason.
0: Yeah. And what why do you say WhatsApp is a huge success by most people's definitions? Uh what, what why did, why would you why did you think it wasn't? Well,
1: I mean with my, you know, experience with uh with Yahoo Games, right? I kind of knew exactly how these things work out. You get acquired by a company um and 99% of the time the company, uh, runs your, uh, your work into the ground. And it's like, you're the people who were excited about what you were doing are left, you know, left kind of hanging. So, um, you know, WhatsApp. I was kind of, you know, I was there early on it with WhatsApp, you know, I kind of stopped. I was actually only there at WhatsApp for two months. Um, And, you know, but I saw how they were, you know, the, the, the people who loved WhatsApp, you know, they were really, they really loved, they had like a genuine love of WhatsApp and um, none of them were happy when Facebook bought them. And, you know, they kind of go through the, you know, they go through the, you know, song and dance of like, oh, you know, we have now resources to do everything we ever dreamed of. And it was, you know, it's, it's, you've seen it play itself out over and over and over in Silicon Valley that, you know, it's, um, you know, oh, things are gonna be so much better with, you know, a big company behind us. Um, but really it is, it's, it's kind of just a way for, it's honestly a, a method of collusion. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the, the we have a huge monopoly problem in, in Silicon Valley. Um, and with WhatsApp, it was very clear that the reason why um, Zuckerberg was very anxious about companies like Instagram and, um, WhatsApp, uh, beating Facebook and, and basically out competing Facebook. So that made him very anxious. And, you know, he did the smart thing that a CEO, sh- I guess, should do, right. Which is, uh, take out his competition <laughs> in the easiest way possible that you created a lot of shareholder value, right. Um, but I think what happened was you have fewer engineers trying to work on the great software that should be, you know, that, that we should be working on, right? Yeah. You, you had a lot of people just retiring and not, not even, you know, did, did the, did the quality of the software get better after Facebook bought WhatsApp? I don't think it did.
0: So I mean, don't these um, don't these people who buy these apps don't they have an incentive to make them as good as possible? So WhatsApp and Instagram are still widely used by a lot of people. They're still very popular. Uh, Instagram is you know more popular than it was uh, when Facebook bought it. I remember uh, there was like mockery when uh, Facebook bought Instagram. There was a famous John Stewart clip of saying, you know, what is this, you know, nonsense that they're up to? And it ended up being a very uh, you know valuable uh, sort of subsidiary of uh, Facebook. So. What's wrong with what's wrong with this model where Facebook just buys it and makes it available to people and people can enjoy it?
1: Well, there's a I mean first of all you have to look at things from, you know, probably the most prominent reason why is that's not really what's happening here. Like the the business model of Facebook is actually to, you know, they're not they're, they're not making good software for people to sell it to them. They're making good software for people to look at ads, through which their behavior is manipulated, not necessarily in their best interests. So, what Facebook was able to do once they had all that data was, yeah, sure, maybe Instagram is better um, than it was. I I kind of doubt it. I don't. Th- I think Instagram would have been just as good if they stayed independent. Same thing with WhatsApp. But even even if even if they did make it a little bit better, what they did is they created a situation where, you know, there, there's no competition for um, kind of treating the customer fairly, and kind, and of in, in and you know, giving not kind of less, not not having the ratchet up so high on the data mining and the, um, you know, as I say, behavioral manipulation.
0: So yeah, there's a lot we can unpack there. Uh, so why don't you start by you telling us what what uh, Futo is? This is your new project, right?
1: Yeah. So FUTO is kind of my response to, you know, my experience in Silicon Valley. I was, you know, I was able to, you know, have a lot of success in Silicon Valley financially by kind of going along with the flow, even though, you know, well, I mean, I wrote a, I wrote a few good things that were useful for people, but not nearly, you know, commensurate with my financial reward. Um, and this is the case for everyone, really. Um, so, yeah, I, basically, FUTO is, you know, ba- me wanting to kind of get back to what I thought I dropped out of grad school for and to provide what I would have wanted when I dropped out of grad school to you know, younger programmers today, which is, you know, just support and to make good software for people. That's not going to abuse them. Um, That's going to work properly. Um, There's kind of, it actually is kind of a joy that, you know, we computer nerds get out of making nice software for people. Like it is, it is our, you know, for the good software developers, it is kind of our, our role in life to do that. Um, So, you know, that basically means like giving them a way to just focus on creating the good software that doesn't abuse people, making sure they're, you know, set up to not, not betray their customers. The way I feel like a lot of sellouts have betrayed their customers, Um, so they can stay independent, develop a sustainable business model, um, and kind of, you know, really elevate kind of our, you know, elevate everything about computers, like,
0: yeah, so you, so you've got a, you've got a fellowship program, right? can you talk about that and any other sort of concrete specifics about what you're doing to support programmers?
1: Yeah the fellowship program is really simple. We're you know asking people to apply and you know we want um, to people to kind of pitch our project we want them to explain how it's going to you know help kind of reduce the harm that that the oligopoly inflicts you know on people um, and we can talk more about that if you'd like. Um, But um, it's very simple, you know, people can apply and they'll um, get $20,000 per person to work on a project for three months. We, you know, we're not too many strings attached, actually. I mean, we do want, you know, we we do want things to be open source and we want, um, you know, we we kind of are going to try to make sure that, you know, people have that passion to create a a fiercely independent um, business or, you know, organization around there. Um, their project Um, but that's basically it
0: Mm -hmm. the applications are on a rolling basis and you're hoping to have you said four people uh working in austin with you over the summer
1: um four to ten like we're kind of gonna get the applications and see what comes in
0: gotcha. Okay, cool. So we'll we'll provide a link to that for you know we have a lot of programmers, people in tech who are listening, and maybe they'll find okay, it. Okay, great. link. Awesome. Yeah. So you say. Um, so I guess so. The there's a philosoph- philosophical sort of uh, 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 basis of this, which is interesting, which is worth fleshing out. So. Uh, you know I guess I guess we should probably start by think uh, thinking about what's the problem with the standard Silicon Valley model and you know why you find it so objectionable um, so basically you know you go to like Google and you get all this stuff for free right you could search for anything you want um, and you know uh, a lot of other websites are like this Facebook is free Twitter is free and you're what what they're they're making money off of ads right so they're have they're getting your data they're seeing what kind of stuff you like looking on at Looking at the internet, and then they're uh, they're um, targeting ads to you. Um, So you know, some people don't like this. Some people, you know, say say it's fine. What what do you find that's so so objectionable about about this model?
1: I mean, I kind of get kind of deep into it. It's you know, I mean, I've hated my ads my whole life. You know, I've always thought it was silly that you know Coca Cola would you know make more money by you know, inundating us with Coca Cola marketing everywhere. I mean, you know, I understood that it worked and I, so that's why they did it. Um, and I always hoped maybe I was immune to it, but maybe I was less immune to it than I thought. Um, but I think you're, you're definitely seeing with it's getting much deeper now. I mean, it really is, you know, it used to just be like, let's get people to buy more Coke or let's get people to, you know, buy Tide. Um, but it really is getting much deeper now because of the machine learning. Like, and, you know, it's, you know, people talk about machine learning and they think like, Oh, my Roomba can vacuum or like my, you know, I can have a self-driving car, but predominantly machine learning now is learning how to manipulate humans. So, you know, that's Google's whole thing is like, how, like, let's throw all these computing resources and like, let's, Stu you know let's, let's study every single detail and let's have the computers figure out how to more successfully manipulate human behavior so what's happening is far more people can be um can be manipulated now than before, and if the trend continues i don't know we'll see how we'll see how far the tr- the trend continues you know you can get into all sorts of you know dystopian science fiction type things and you know some of them are kind of there's a lot of it sort of hyperbole but there is a truth to it that you know it's it's not it's not good to be just kind of like letting all these you know letting these machines make your decisions for you
0: yeah so there's two ways the machines can manipulate you right they can either get you to buy stuff um, that you wouldn't otherwise buy, or they could just be sort of taking your time and making you obsessed with the product. And maybe, you know, through through that, uh, potentially increasing your probability of buying something. So my interaction with these free products like Google and Twitter, I guess those are the two ones I use, I don't use Facebook, um it's you know i don't feel manipulated I, I i can't remember ever or the last time i clicked on an ad on a computer uh you know on, on the computer and bought something every time i bought something i've gone to i've sought it out on amazon and i've you know lo- known what i was looking for and i got it sometimes amazon will give you like give me like you know other books people you know who, who've liked this book like other books and i you know i don't mind looking at that at, at all i like to see books that are you know similar to the books uh, i read um so what is what is what is the what is the concrete harm if you? could sort of sp- spill it out or can you I talk mean yeah of- I mean,
1: and ideally marketing is just informing people about things and not really manipulating them against their interests um, so yeah I-, I think it's very useful for a lot of people, like you said when you're on Amazon or whatever they actually are very efficient there's a reason why you know Amazon's a trillion dollar company they're it's crazy how efficient they are at getting products to people that they that they actually do want and need um, You know, when you talk, when you do start, you, you, when you get into issues of propaganda, it gets much more interesting, right? So when people are trying to get you to vote in a certain way or not, right? And then it can, there's all sorts of things that you don't even, you don't even know that you might not even, as you know, you're, you're a smart guy, Richard. Like you're probably more impervious to this than the rest of us, but you know, who knows? How much, like, how much this propaganda can affect you? I mean, there's, you know, studies of, you know, if depending on what you get on a um, Google search result, it can actually change the vote of like ten percent of the people who are voting. So it, it matters quite a bit um, when you're talking about kind of, you know, when you get into the realm of politics, it it, it gets very, very hard, you know. And you know, I I, I kind of hate to get too uh, you know, hyperbolic about this stuff but it absolutely does work. I mean, you know, there's lots of money going into this. We have billion dollar campaigns now all the time.
0: Yeah. um. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't doubt that it works, but I mean, if you think about like the way people would make political decisions, you know, before the internet, I mean, it wasn't like the most sophisticated thing in the world. It was like, you know, yard signs, like people do yard signs or they'll do like commercials and the commercials, you know, aren't really very informative. They're often very, you know, stupid and playing on people's emotions and manipulating them. So you know, well, well, I guess before the internet, we were, you know, the voters were just sort of emotional and, you know, subject to manipulation and now they still are, right? So, I mean, has this has this changed all that much? I mean, uh, was our decision-making better back then or worse? Like, how would you measure and how would you know?
1: I mean, that's a good question. Um, instinctually, I would say it's much more effective now. Like, just because you can crunch so much more data, you have so much more information with which to, you know, fiddle with things, do A B testing, you know, A B C D E F testing, right? Um so um there's a lot so so I would say instinctually to me, the tools are much more powerful than they've ever been. How can you prove that? I don't know. That you know that's an exercise for uh you know academia maybe.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I think I I agree with you. I think they're powerful, but you know, there's a lot happening. So I think that you know, my my view of how politics has changed, our internet has changed politics is is that it's a lot more fragmented now. You so you'll have like you know, you know, like thirty, forty years ago, you'd have three uh, major network channels, you'd have you know, uh, newspapers, you'd have radio. There really wasn't just sort of all these uh, niche media, and so now you have this algorithm and this outrage thing, and people sometimes they dislike the you know they, they attack big tech for. the the, uh, amplification of sort of divisive voices. At the same time, I sort of see politics, you know, the, the consensus of like a previous generation was often a consensus in, in favor of something that wasn't very smart or wasn't very good. So like the Iraq war, this was just the beginning of the uh, internet era. And if we had maybe more sort of diversity of opinions and people fighting, we wouldn't have been so united, you know, after uh, after September 11th. Um, then again, I look at the Russia Ukraine stuff and I see sort of how overwhelming You know, people are still, you know, some Maybe maybe things haven't changed that much on the foreign policy stuff, um, but it's I guess what I'm saying is it's it's complicated. There could be a there could be an you could try to make an optimistic case for this in that like like the, you know if you're worried about centralized forces sort of brainwashing people maybe just having like two or three tribes like all like seeing the opposite information you know creates a little bit more of a check of checks and balances in society and you know prevents anyone from getting too much power. Is, 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 there something to be said for that?
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of open-minded to all these things. I, I mean, I just, myself, I, that's a part of, part of the internet that I love though, is the dissenting voices being louder. Like, and maybe that's just, you know, my personality, you know, I love, you know, I, I love conspiracy theories. Like I know that like most of them aren't true, but you know, they obviously deserve to be heard. Um, you might be. It sounds like maybe you're arguing that we should have more control to have a more cohesive society, or maybe we shouldn't. I don't know.
0: Like maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's
1: an open question. I'm just telling you what I I, I like. I like is much more fun living in a world where you know dissenting voices get, get to be heard and you know get to be rebutted, and and that's a part of the internet that I personally love. Is and you know I, I'm a huge fan of the internet, right? Like you know I was so excited by the internet in grad school. That, you know, I wound up dropping out. Um, so, you know.
0: Yeah. So, so what is, what is your, so I guess what's your, mo- so uh, here's a question. So if Google, if the the Google model is, uh, it, it isn't the problem that people don't, people don't care, right? So if Google, you could have a competitor Google char- charge, uh, you know, two cents per search, right? There's a reason that this this business model has taken over right people don't want to pay for stuff, and they you know whatever they say to pollsters or whatever they say i mean the the revealed preferences show they really don't care about this privacy stuff or uh you know this potential manipulation or maybe they all think they're too smart so isn't isn't the problem people and like how do you overcome people's uh uh you know people's wishes here
1: right i mean uh, this is you could argue that we have a natural monopoly right with with these companies um and you're right. Most people don't care. Um, and I guess my answer is well, I my hope is that enough people care that I can help those people who do care. Like I don't want people stuck using bad things that they don't want to have to use just because they're monopoly. And if you kind of look at the anti-competitive practices, it's much more difficult for us to have for those people who do care to even have a choice. If it's only 10% of the people who care. That's fine. You know, that's still, you know, a billion people who care, you know, that's important. That's important to me. And, the, you know, the rest of the people can, you know, keep watching CNN or whatever <laughs> is important to them.
0: Right. Okay. So you're, you're you're accepting of human nature. You don't think that everyone's going to turn away from the ad model. You want to create sort of a space. Uh, for people who, so so you see this, uh, this internet of, you know, 10% of the population of the world population, you know, 800 million or billion people or whatever. uh, What does it look like? So there's a version of Google or there's a version of Facebook. I mean, uh, are they just, uh, are they just basically the same thing except you pay a subscription fee? Like what's, what's your ultimate vision here?
1: Well, there's, there's many, there's many kind of aspects to this. Um, We can talk about any of them. Like as a programmer, you know, I'm very distraught with the fact that um, you know, all of my work started to be consumed by Apple in you know, 2010 with app stores. So when I used to be able to publish anything I wanted to run on you know, anybody's computer, um, I lost that capability when the app stores got big and I started to require Apple's permission or Google's permission to write software for people. So I'd absolutely want, you know, and, and we saw that happen with social media later. I mean, Alex Jones didn't happen until what, 2018 or something. Um, so
0: the, cen- you know, mean the censorship of Alex Jones, the censorship,
1: yes. The censorship of Alex Jones it happened in probably like 2018 around there. Yeah. Um, and people are getting censored before that. Um, so absolutely. I would want, um, you know, those people to not like feel so controlled by kind of the social media monopolies. Um, I would like myself, I would like programmers to be able to be, you know, program apps for people's phones and like, you know, with we, there's lots of nuance there and it's not that bad because on Android you can sideload an app I write, things like that. But, you know, it's, it's definitely the case that, um, you know, that's pretty awful to do that to some, I think it's awful to do that to somebody. Like, I mean, it, especially, I don't know. It's your, it's your life, you know, it's your life's working for a lot of these people. And to just have like some, you know, nitwits at Google decide that, you know, this happened actually really, like, I think there was a Confederate, there was a Confederate flag in a civil war game that triggered somebody at Apple and they got taken off of the Apple store. So it's like, this guy is like writing a, you know, he writes an, a great video game about the civil war with a Confederate flag in it and it gets taken off. Um, It's just like, there should be more options for people like that to continue. And, you know, and sure, maybe they're not going to get the mass market success they wanted, but there there certainly should be bigger spaces for those people.
0: Yeah. I mean, we we really got, uh, we've really become used to the censorship. I remember, do you remember this story where it was like early in the days of eBay, like it was Germany or France, one of those countries said, like, we don't want you selling uh, Nazi paraphernalia, right? Nazi censorship Yeah, right, right. I mean... and this was do you remember this? It was, was it early was it the two thousand it was early? Yeah, I,
1: I do think I remember that. Yeah. I was you know, I wasn't too too involved with censorship then, but um
0: yeah. yeah. But it was it was so unique because it, I remember like people being taken like eBay would ban something, like it was just like and they had to be forced by the government. It was like even Nazi iconography right was not seen as something you would <laughs> banned just because the internet was a thing where you just, you posted what you want, you sold what yeah. you wanted. You know, you, Amazon started banning books um, only, only like two or three years ago. Um, I, I remember the first ones they got banned. I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty surprising. Right. right. Um, and so, yeah, this censorship thing is, you know, is, is pretty, is pretty bad. So, the f- the phone thing i mean it's it's the dev- it's the device right that's the thing so apple makes the iphone right the you know there's android there's only a few options for who you buy your phone from um you know do you do you envision do you think do you think they should be sort of uh uh what 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 do you think are they? do you think they should be forced not to be able to set their own sort of rules for who gets in the app store who gets on their products how, how would you sort of take care of this problem
1: i would like um i mean the way i mean we dealt with this in late nineties with Microsoft, right, where they were, had too much of a power, too much power. I didn't really like the remedy that, that the department of justice came up with for that. Um, but Microsoft was trying to basically doing much less than is being done today to kind of try to, you know, push people out of the windows ecosystem who were getting too powerful. Um, you know, My, my, my kind of theory, like I would, as kind of like a libertarian, like, I feel like I boil this down to like, what I would like to try first would be just like less intellectual property protections for the giants. So if you kind of think about all the things that make, you know, all the things that make it hard to create your own iPhone or to create your own operating system that can run on these phones, um, is protected by a lot of, you know, trade secrets, a lot of employment agreements, um, you know, things like somebody who knows how to do this stuff, but might like a dissenting engineer at these companies who wants to like do something differently. Oftentimes they, you know, they're, they're bound by intellectual property law and what they can do if they leave the company. So that would be my first attempt to remedy this through any kind of legislation would be fewer intellectual property protections for big companies like I felt, I feel like the Microsoft, um, th- I mean, just to uh, kind of, you know, go down memory lane, the Microsoft remedy was like, oh, you know, they can't, there's all these rules about, you know, I guess maybe let's, let's, let's kind of explain like, you know, this was when Netscape sued Microsoft um, back in, and a few other companies joined in back in the late 90s because Internet Explorer was starting to dominate. Um and so they kind of the remedy was like, well, you can't tie Internet Explorer too much to the operating system. I think a much more interesting remedy would have been um everybody who works at Microsoft is a free agent now. And everybody who wants to write Microsoft code is uh you know, every, everybody who wants to work on this code base is, is free to do it. And here's, you know, here's, you know, billions of dollars of taxpayer money to compensate the the uh compensate the shareholders of Microsoft. That would have been a, a much more interesting remedy, and I think we'd get better results. We would have gotten better results instead of just kind of, like, tying the hands of um, Microsoft.
0: Yeah. So, the, I mean, the, the theory about IP protection is that it, you know, it's, it's an incentives argument, right? They need to be able to, they won't create stuff unless they're able to profit from it, right? Well, why do you, why you know, it's hard to, nobody knows exactly what the ideal sort of uh, level of protection is. Um, you, however, think it's it's we're we're too protective of the intellectual property. Well, why do you think that? Why what would you say? Well, I'd like to. Cl- I mean, I'd
1: like to be really clear. Like, I feel like I actually feel like intellectual property protections are great when it's protecting this, the little guy, right? I think when it gets out of hand is when big corporations are using it to bully the little guy. So, any kind of you know reform would target big companies far more than the little guy, right? Um, you know, like why? Why does why does Disney get? Or, you know, why does Amazon get to own Lord of the Rings? Like Tolkien would have never wanted that. Mm.
0: So yeah, so I mean, are there are there countries that any, any countries that have this guy? No, because IP is standardized across the world, isn't it? There's international. Yeah, I'm not countries. really an
1: expert in it, but yeah, I, I do believe that kind of you know they've succeeded in kind of globalizing IP protections throughout the world. Like there's various, there's some nuances here and there, but
0: yeah. So, I mean, would the would the argument be that the it helps the little guy because of the incentive? I mean, is the is the idea that the big guy doesn't need really need the incentive to innovate? He's going to innovate anyway. He's got so many built in advantages that it, you can reduce his production and it'll be okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, that would be the argument, um, especially in things like software. Like most really great software is just a few people. Like it really is just a few people. Um, you know, I guess, you know, when you start talking about things like, um, you know, designer drugs and things like that, I mean, I I'm not as knowledgeable about those things. Um, certainly things like, um, you know, novels and stuff like, yes, that one person writes a novel, right? So we want to protect, you know, someone writes a novel. We don't want Amazon to just publish it and make all the money. Mm.
0: Yeah. So was there, I mean, was there a, so did you, uh, you went into, um, you went into Silicon Valley, you worked for Yahoo. When did you sort of have this realization that something was off? Was there an experience or a collection of experiences that sort of pushed you in this direction?
1: I mean, you know, I'll be honest. I was kind of going along with Yahoo for a while and just kind of accepting like my fate. Like I certainly would have liked to have been, you know, I, as much as my thing was a side project in grad school, I would have loved to be able to make a sustainable business out of it with have stayed independent, right? Um, so I kind of gave up on that when I joined Yahoo, and I just kind of went along with the flow. Um, you know, never really liking the fact that advertising was a successful model. Um you know, I do. I will say on the censorship front, you know, there was a, there was a. I, I kind of uh, made a little bit of a fuss when they asked me to, uh, to put the profanity. So I was doing a, a game site where you, where the people would chat, and you know, one of my first tasks was to make it work in all the different countries of the world in, the, in localized languages. So you know, there would be, you know, you know, me- Mexican Yahoo Mexico would have a version of Yahoo Games, and you know, we did it really nice so that you know, somebody could. Yeah, we could have people speaking different languages playing chess with each other which i thought was really cool um but then when we did the chinese version of yahoo games i got the profanity list and it had um tiananmen square democracy and freedom on it in Mm -hmm. english (laughs) along with a bunch of chinese i couldn't understand so i was like this isn't cool and like you know, I, I I like emailed the founders and let them know. And Jerry Yang was, you know, he's from Taiwan. And so he knew about it. And they just kind of went along with it. And, you know, that's, you know, the Chinese market's really important. I probably made a fuss about it, you know, two times, you know, once when it first happened and once a couple of years later. And, you know, just as a rank and file uh, programmer, I kind of just accepted that that was, what th- what we were supposed to do. So yeah, like you know, kind of, and you know, you kind of think well, that's China. That's okay, you know. That 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 that's that's we'll just let China like do what China wants to do and let their government tell us what to do for our Chinese um for our Chinese version of Yahoo games. Um so it's it's an it was an interesting question at that time and it still is, you know.
0: Yeah. Do you think do you think I mean is it just that the screens manipulate us uh, you know the these apps manipulate us and these products uh make us do act differently or how how much of a you do have a philosophy that we spend too much time in the screens a so part of that package is they're just making us always sort of scrolling on twitter or checking facebook
1: yeah i don't care t- i mean i don't think about that i mean I, I always watched way too much tv when i was a kid and people probably thought i was like you know you know watching you know just like my brain was going to be shitty or something because of that um you know, I do worry about some things. You know, I do think that, you know, again, the machine learning, another thing it does is it does make us dumber. We don't exercise our brains as much as we should. It's probably affecting, um, you know, some of our spatial um, cognitive development and thing and things like just knowing which way is north. You know, a lot of kids these days, probably a lot fewer the kids these days know which way is north or in whatever city they're in. Um, they can't navigate without Google Maps. Um, so, I definitely I would you know as we get into kind of like more futurism kind of thinking, I think we should be careful about dumbing down our cognitive development with by making things too easy to think through,
0: yeah, yeah, but in your in your world potentially, I mean the internet would be much cooler, so they're not manipulating us anymore, but there's a lot that's fun and cool to do, and so if we if we move more into a virtual world you you're you're fine <laughs> as long as we know which way is north.
1: I mean, I, 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 so when I left Yahoo, I was very sad and very lonely. So I, I spent, uh, spent, uh, several years in the world of Warcraft. Um, that is another danger is, you know, we can make these virtual worlds more compelling than the real world for a lot of people. And, you know, you know, even for myself, who, you know, was kind of a successful programmer at Yahoo kind of the bullshit that i had to deal with at yahoo was like so distasteful i actually kind of really liked the world that blizzard created for me it was much more fair you know there was you know there was there wasn't so much lying going on to get ahead things like that um so we we got to be careful about that too i mean we don't want i don't think that's going to be good if you know 90% of the population get you know addicted to video games the way I mean, you could definitely say I was uh, I was spending too many hours in uh, in Azeroth from you know 2005 to uh, 2000, you know nine maybe.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you really you're really sort of you, you. There's a lot you seem to dislike about the time of Yahoo. Besides besides the Chinese uh, censorship thing, is there anything else that you know stood out to you as like made that experience particularly bad?
1: Well, I just I mean, mainly I don't like to lose. <laughs> so I mean, Yahoo lost big time to Google. Yahoo is a failed Google. Um, Yahoo wanted to be everything that Google became. Um, So I certainly didn't like losing as a competitive person. I'm also glad that we lost too at the same time, because I could very easily have been, you know, you know, still drinking the Kool-Aid and still just like, you know, defending kind of the elitist view that, that they have you know, at Google now, um, over the rest of the world. Like it was kind of good getting our asses kicked. Um, but yeah, it was certainly frustrating. It was also just frustrating, frustrating for me kind of, you know, a lot of the engineers at Yahoo knew the defeat was coming and they were, you know, we had like this idiot, um, Terry Semel, who was like a Hollywood executive that they made, uh, the CEO who just, you know, was oblivious to what was happening. I mean, it, it was like, there's this wonderful clip of like, I think it's Eric Schmidt, the CEO of Google. Um, I want to, re- I think it might've been Bill Gates. It was some other, some other like, you know, highly competent CEO and Terry Semmel. I think it was like on Jay Leno or something. It was just kind of so sad, like how like pitiful like Yahoo was um, <laughs> in, in those days. So, um, you know, and yeah, so. And, uh, you know, one w- another thing about Yahoo was, um, you know, they did not, like, what like Google, I think the thing Google did to win, really, is they treated the engineers well. They understood that it was a tech problem. They needed really good tech people, um, whereas Yahoo kind of treated the, the tech people as more fungible and, uh, you know, some people who could be, you know, replaced and, like, they would try to, you know, get other companies to do a lot of engineering for them and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, so you're you're in Austin now. You spent time in uh, Silicon Valley before that. Can you talk a little bit about Austin and sort of the scene down there? You know, people who are applying to your fellowship, sort of, you know, why why be in Austin right now? What's what's exciting going on there and in tech?
1: Well, I am unfortunately reclusive, so I don't get out as much as I should. I will say this: like, I don't get nearly you know. When I talk to people in Austin, I don't get nearly as much about kind of more, you know, uh, unorthodox ways of viewing, you know, tech and like, you know, really thinking kind of my customer first approach to tech. Um, you don't, I don't get as much, uh, you know, elitist kind of, you know, just do whatever the, the VCs think you should do type of um, thinking that you get in, uh in Silicon Valley, like I was very like, well, I was the probably, you know, as a shareholder, as a kind of like one of the bigger shareholders of WhatsApp, when the, um, the sale to Facebook occurred, I was the lone dissenter. Um, and it was very, very intimidating for me being the lone dissenter. Um, and everybody was very mad at me for being the lone dissenter. Um, and you know, I feel like if I were in Austin, there would have been a lot more people saying, fuck you to Facebook. Like, and I think even the founders of WhatsApp might've been more likely to say, fuck you to, to Facebook if they were in a kind of a more unorthodox environment like Austin.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So that's the, there's the free thinking has sort of, uh, you, you, it's better for free thinking than say the West coast is now Although the West coast is crazy. I think you can say that about a, a lot of people. <laughs>
1: <I> mean, <laughs> it, it's it's, you know, everybody's kind of gets crazy in their own ways. I, I mean, Austin's neat because it's, you know, it's this blue b- bubble in a red state. So the mayor and the, the mayor of Austin and the governor of Texas are always fighting with each other, which is great because that means they have like less time to fuck with the people.
0: Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I was in Austin. You uh, know, I, mean, I met met you in Austin a few months ago, and um, uh I, you know, it's a the people. It's a blue and a red. Uh, yeah, but like, I mean, California. I mean, I, I didn't see anyone wearing a mask. Like, very few people wearing masks. at like, you know, the Target in, in Austin, while everyone was in California. So, you know, I don't know something about the rest of the state rubs off. Um, even, even in Austin. So it's, it's a completely different environment. It's not like, it's not like, uh, you're being in a liberal enclave in California. It's just a completely different thing. I know they had a homeless problem in Austin. Apparently the people voted, uh, they voted on a yeah. referendum and they, they've cleaned that up. So you don't see, you don't see that like easily, yeah, the yeah. West coast Uh, so yeah, I mean, people want something, you know, it, it, like it's a blue enclave, but it's, 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 you know, if you've been to like, you know, my, my reference point is California, so it, did, it didn't feel like that at all. Uh, okay, cool. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll put the links. Um, is there any, you know, is there, uh, so I guess I'll ask you one last question. What is the, um, the uh, short-term, medium-term, long-term um, vision of what a FUTO is going to be and what it's going to do?
1: I mean, the short-term is basically just, we want, like, you know, dissenting engineers to really feel like they have a home and to feel like they can have an impact on the world. And like, you know, people like me, when I dropped out of grad school, who just want to build great software for people that gets used. They have a place where they can do that and they're not going to get interfered with a bunch of kind of bullshit metrics that Silicon Valley forces on you. So I want engineers to know that they have that home for them. Um, you know, I guess, you know, medium term, you know, we're going to start building projects. We're, you know, we'll start having some tangible Products that we can point to and say this is a um, a good result. Like we feel good about you know where this project's going. Um, you know we're, we will have helped a lot of you know similarly minded groups get going through you know kind of other grants we're doing. Um, long term, you know, long term we've uh, you know we've destroyed Google and Apple and Facebook and and Netflix and. And everybody kind of can, you know, you know, choose their own path. What's the wrong with
0: Netflix? I, I pay them. I pay them ten dollars <laughs> a month. They don't show me ads. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh,
1: okay, fine. I, I mentioned Netflix because they're the <laughs> N and Fang, um, but you're fair. Fair enough. Netflix isn't that powerful <laughs> enough to be maybe uh, maybe uh, deserve as much contempt as uh, Facebook and uh, and uh, Apple and Google do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The the ones that you pay for, I thought that's already, that's already, you know, I thought you're already there. I thought that's already what you, what you want. Although they do try to manipulate you to watch, to watch. Right. Me.
1: Right. I mean, there's all sorts of interesting aspects with, you know, all this, so all the, all the recommendation algorithms are a whole can of worms. Like how, how that, how that uh, affects you. And, you know, hopefully they're just using the recommendation algorithms to increase profit, but very often it seems it's being used for, um, Maybe by activists now. So okay,
0: well, can you talk about that? What do you What do you mean, Netflix? When When I watch Netflix and I'm clicking through stuff, how How would it be used by uh? What do you think activists activists would be doing?
1: Well, just um, I mean, it's it's not necessary. I mean, with Netflix and activists, it's probably more in the sense of like what what they promote, right? Like, um, you know, I mean, why why is uh why did Barack Obama have a big Netflix contract, right? Like, you know, he's He's got a political agenda that he's promoting. Yeah. Well, they do I promote think. all the,
0: uh, like every time I go to Hulu or Netflix, it's like Black Stories. It's like AAPI month. It's like LGBT okay. stories. It's like John was like, right. like comedy, you know, right. action and like different races and like sexual orientation. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and so often
1: that's being pushed by, I mean, I, I mean, that's, that's been in the news recently with, I think, Facebook, actually with Netflix, right? Where I think the CEO of, of Netflix, had to tell all the employees to like calm down because they can't push their and it's just like it's like rank and file people at Netflix who have the political agenda, but that that winds up percolating up into whatever they're working on um and yeah I think that just that happened recently where the the CEO of Netflix was like calm down like if you don't like our content, then um, we'll go find another job so that was yeah. refreshing
0: yeah that was that was refreshing, okay, cool so. Um, you know, is there any place people can find you or are you on social media? Is there any list you want to sign up? Anything, you you know, where people can keep up Um, with? Um, the best best
1: place to go is just futo.org, F-U-T-O.org. Um, we have some, you know, the standard social media that you can find from there. Um, so.
0: Okay, great. We'll link, we'll link to all that. Okay. Thanks, Aaron. It's been great having you on. All right. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it.